Let's go to verse 10 in 2 Corinthians 8. And again, I'll give you the scripture and then put up a um, principle that we gain from the verses. And I'll make some comments as well to give you the background. Verse 10 says, And here is my advice about what is best for you in this matter. He's talking to Corinthians now. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. So Paul is saying, you know, I started this fund a year ago, and the implication is that you were one of the first churches, Corinth, that I mentioned this need to. Now, he's going to show to the Corinthians that although they made uh, initial um, interest in giving, they didn't remain true to the commitment. Now, some surmise that the reason why the Corinthians didn't give was because of the problems they were having with the Apostle Paul and the fact that a lot of people were challenging his ministry and his apostleship. And perhaps that stopped the Corinthians from giving what they had promised. So he wants to get back to that now because he's going to say now, after I went to Macedonia and told the churches there, churches at Philippi, church at Thessalonica and the Berean church, they responded. And he's going to say here that I used you as an example of people who are willing to give. And he is going to use that in a minute. Verse 11. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it. In other words, put your money where your mouth is. That's what he's saying here. Now notice again, he says, according to your means. You see, it appears as though some of the Corinthians made a promise to give a good amount of money, but they didn't have it available, and so they didn't give anything. Paul is going to address that in a moment. Verse 12. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what he does not have. So it seems that the Corinthians had delayed in making a collection for the needy saints at Jerusalem, hoping that they would be able to send more at a later time. In other words, they said, I don't have the money available now. I want to send it another time, but they didn't follow through. They are reminded by Paul now that it's not a question of how much they send at all. Because if there's a real desire in their heart to have fellowship with the saints in Jerusalem, then God accepts the gift that they have, however small it may be. In other words, it's the heart attitude that counts. His concern was not saying you got to pay 10%. There's no notice about that at all. He says you give whatever you have to give. Don't think that because it may be small, God does not appreciate it, or the people of God does not appreciate it. That's not true. You give whatever you have at the moment that you have the desire to give. Well, let me give you the, the, the principle I had from that verse. Great giving is both spontaneous and a promise commitment based upon our personal desire, which is to be fulfilled according to our present means, not what we do not actually have. It's the attitude. And far as God is concerned, if you really have a desire to give, and even if you don't have anything to give, God counts that as giving something. It's a hard attitude. Um, 
Now notice verse 13. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. Now he's going to explain a very important principle for the church, and Priscilla made a little uh, reference to it. There might be equality, equality as far as the people of God is concerned, in sharing in the resources that God has given to the church. He says, at the present time, your plenty will supply what they need. In other words, you have the means of meeting their need. So that in turn, their plenty, uh, he's talking, will supply what you need. Then there will be equality. He's just saying, in a sense, you could say, watch out those of you who think you stand firm as far as your money is concerned. One day you could fall, you could have a need as well. And the situation might be changed. Maybe the people in Macedonia will then have funds that they could give to you. And that's how the equality is met within the church. As it is written, he who gathered much did not have too much. And he who gathered little did not have too little. Now, Paul's intent here is not to put the Christian Corinth under financial strain. It wasn't saying that you have to go into need in order to meet the needs. He isn't saying that. His thought is not that the Jerusalem church should be eased and the Corinthians burdened or improvised or having to undergo needs. And so he's not talking about that. He's not asking them to go without. But just consider that maybe they will have needs sometime. And how would you want the people of God to respond to you? Now, these verses describe God's program for the relief of want in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a very practical thing here. The Lord's purpose is that whenever a need exists amongst God's people in one area, that there should be a flow of funds that come from other churches in other areas to meet the need in this needy area. This constant flow and interflow of funds would result in an equality among the churches worldwide. In other words, if the church give the way we're supposed to give here, there really would be no church going without need anywhere. That's God's intent. But you see, we don't give in this fashion, and so we have needs all around. Now, Paul goes, goes to Exodus 16:18 when he says, As it is written, he who gathered much did not have too much, and he who gathered little did not have too little. Remember when the children of Israel went out to gather the manna? Some were able to gather more than others, but that didn't matter. When the manna was distributed, each man received the same amount, one omer, or about five pints. No matter how much you got, even if you got half a bucket or a full bucket, when you got into distributed, everybody had the same amount. That's how God worked it out. So he says, he who gathered much had nothing left over, and he who gathered little had no lack. If anyone tried to hoard the manna, what happened? Worms. And it stunk. It got stink. So what Paul is saying here, if we hoard money that God gives us when God's people have a need that we could give, that money will stink. That money will turn to worms. That's what he's saying here. And so this equalization didn't happen by, ma by magic. 
It happened because those who had too much shared with those who didn't have enough. And that's how you got equality amongst the people of God. You see, listen now, this is very, this is an important point we miss when we read this here. Our resources is like manna as far as God is concerned. It will not hoard well. It will turn to worms. That's what God is teaching here. Now, um, let's go to another one here. Uh, Another principle. Grace giving does not deprive the giver of necessities, but brings about equality among believers. In other words, the way for equality to be experienced amongst the people of God when it comes to need is that the people who have funds are to give freely of what God has given to them. That's grace giving. This is an ongoing basic truth for the people of God. Now notice he's talking about our giving especially to Christians. The Bible teaches that the first priority for giving when it comes to meeting needs is God's people giving to one another. Not that we don't care for those outside, but we begin at home. That's the teaching. Verse 16. I thank God who put into the heart of Titus the same concern I have for you. For Titus not only welcomed our appeal, but he is coming to you with much enthusiasm and on his own initiative. He's saying now, I did not have to force Titus to come to you to collect this money for the saints because he had a heart concern for them and he also had a concern for you. He was ready and willing to go even before I asked him. In other words, he's showing Titus as an example of those who are willing to serve the Lord when it comes to meeting the needs of God's people. And notice he goes on. And we are sending along with him the brother, he's not named, who is praised by all the churches for his service to the gospel. Paul is now going to give some qualifications for those who handle money in the church. He's going to give some qualifications. And this is one of the first ones here. He says, we are sending along with him, this Titus, who has a concern, the brother who is praised by all the churches. In other words, this brother is well known, well respected, for his ministry as far as the gospel is concerned. And so one of the first principles is here that those who are handle the money in the church of Jesus Christ should be known and respected for their ministry. They should be men of good repute, good reputation. That's one of the first qualifications. And so grace giving then is both stimulated by and also encourages Christian ministry. In other words, those who are involved in the ministry of the gospel, they encourage people to be further involved as far as giving is concerned. Paul emphasizes in in these verses that grace giving is a ministry in itself. He called the work of God. It's called a grace work. It is a ministry itself. The same way that Paul talks about the Corinthians excelling in spiritual gifts, in knowledge and speech and understanding. He says, I want you also to excel in this grace gift of giving. It's a mark of those who have love, the fruit of the Spirit in their lives. Verse 19, what is more, 
He was chosen by the churches. So that is another qualification. Those who handle money at the church should be chosen by the churches. Not just by one individual or two individuals, but by the churches to accompany us as we carry the offering, which we administer in order to honor the Lord himself and to show our eagerness to help. What he's saying here is that the man who handled the money of the church should be selected by members of the church. The apostles as the leaders administered the funds with the help of qualified men chosen by the church. This is what Paul is saying. Now he's going to tell us why he does this. <clears throat> but let me give you one more principle here. Principle number 13. Grace-giving funds must be administered by spiritually qualified men chosen by the church if God is to be honored. Now, we honor God then by selecting spiritually qualified men to assist the leaders to distribute the funds that God gives to his people. That's a principle that Paul is saying here. Verse 20. Now, why does he do it? Just like we said just now. We want to avoid any criticism of the way we administer this liberal gift. And notice, it's a liberal gift. He's implying here that when people give according to grace, much money comes in. There's a lot of money. So these men are responsible for carrying a lot of money. Now, some have suggested that the reason why they're going to have three or four men travel with Paul is because as you travel, you might go through areas where there's robbers and all of that. Now, that might be true, but that's not the point Paul is talking about. Paul is talking about the need for men of integrity who are involved in the ministry, chosen by the churches to take care of the funds, because he doesn't want anyone to have any idea that these funds are not going to be administered properly, especially by him. Because remember, he was being accused of being in the ministry for the money. And you know, only him one was going to handle all of this money. The people would just have a, another reason for doing that. And so Paul, as a leader, did not want to give any hint whatsoever that he was responsible alone for distributing the money or no one else was concerned. That's an important thing here. Remember, he's saying that it's not just one person. You have to have more and one involved in dealing with the money. That's an important principle here. Remember, when I first came to Calvary, one of the... One of the requirements that I insisted on when I came is that I would not be a signator in any of the checks for the money in the church. I did not want to be signing the checks. And one of the reasons is just like you said, that because people could get the idea that I have some sort of control over the funds, and I don't. I cannot spend any money that you give here unless I have four, five, six, whoever it is, men, especially Charlie, said that I can. And that is true. Now, sometimes that's a problem because you know you want to get something done quick. Now, I'm going to quote something. Now, I'm going to say something. This is not a criticism, just, a, just, a, just an observation. A year and a half ago, I made a request for a new pulpit because this one gets a little moving around. Only costs $300, but I couldn't buy that. I'm still waiting for the approval. After three years, I'm not three years, two years. You see? Now, you say, well, that shouldn't be. Well, I think that's good. That's a good, what do you call it, check and balance. You see? Although I shout and holler at it, why not? 
But no one will ever be able to accuse Alan Lee, when he was pastor here, that he used the funds of the church. Now, if I were a signator on one of the checks, we probably would get checks done quicker. Because right now we have to have how many checks, how many signatures, uh, Tommy? Two or three? Two. A and B signatures. A and B. Now, sometimes it's not easy to get an A or a B because one of the men might be away or whatever. Now, if I signed it, I'd be right here. We could do it and the check could be done. But we don't do it that way because we don't want any kinds of impression or uh, opportunity for body to say that the senior pastor had availability to the funds of the church. This is what Paul is saying. He does not want that kind of a thing happening here. Notice what he says. Verse 21. We are taking pains to do what is right. This is the New Living Testament uh, translation. We are taking pains to do what is right. Notice this. Not only in the eyes of the Lord, but also in the eyes of men. See that? He didn't want any excuses at all. Uh, he wanted to be sure that the funds are handled in a proper way. So here is the principle. Grace giving results in liberal amounts of money. And that's what Paul says here. It's a liberal gift. It's a lot of money that came in. It must be administered by men of the highest integrity who are willing to do whatever is necessary to see that it is administered in such a way so as to be free from criticism by God or man. That's why we try to make, the deacons try to make it a point here that the funds are not handled just by one man at any time. Because it could give the wrong impression to people. Not that we don't trust our man, but it has to do with appearance, all right? Verse 22. In addition, we are sending with them our brother who has often proved to us in many ways that he is zealous. He's talking about another man who is qualified to go along with them to handle these funds. And now even more so because of his great confidence in you. As for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker among you. As for our brothers, those who are coming to them, they are representatives of the churches and an honor to Jesus Christ. Notice that. They represent the church and they are an honor to Jesus Christ because they are men of integrity and they, Paul knows that they can handle the words of God and the, the, the money that God has given through his people in an honest way. They are, they honor Christ by handling money in the proper way. Isn't that tremendous? They honor Christ, not only the church, but they honor Christ. So the way we handle our funds that are given by the people of God has a lot of impact and bearing upon how we glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm thankful for the way that our men do it here. Now verse 24. Therefore, show these men the proof of your love and the reason for our pride in you so that the churches can see it. Now do that now. In other words, they want the Corinthian church to be assured that these men who are going to be taking these funds to Macedonia. These are men of high integrity, chosen by the churches, and they're there to glorify God. And they want the church to receive them as such. All right? So the principle here, grace-giving inspires Christians to model sacrificial liberality. In other words, when we give according to the principles laid down here, 
it encourages others to give in the same way. And to give liberally. The money will come. The money will be there if we follow these instructions. And again, notice the absence of a command to give any tithes or percentage. Nowhere do you find this at all. Because this is the new covenant way of giving, not under the old covenant. So Paul ends this chapter the way he begins. Grace giving is a model of giving under the new covenant that must be implemented by all local churches, including Calvary Bible Church. Under this new covenant, if we all give as instructed in these passages, we will have no lack for God's ministry if the funds that are received are managed by spiritually qualified men who understand and are both motivated by and draw upon the grace of God to accomplish his ministry in the world. That's why we need men who are committed to Jesus Christ and are concerned about his ministry and the fact that, hey, you, you know, we have funds available, so what do you do? It make the building look pretty, buy more land, buy more property, or do we put it into ministry that expands the kingdom of God? Paul is talking about men like that who know the priorities of the ministry and that how they handle money is a way of honoring God. That's why we need to pray for our deacons and those who handle these funds. And Pastor Albrecht, uh, now he could sign checks all day, all day long, all right? I'm only kidding about that. He has a B signature, all right. Uh, we need to pray and thank God for the men that we have. That the funds that we do have will be used in a way that honors God. Now, let me be a little practical here. Right now, we are experiencing a drop in our giving. There's no doubt about that. We have needs right now. And I want you to be thinking and praying about how you could help to meet some of those needs according to these principles. I mentioned this morning, for instance, about the anniversary, 50th anniversary. It's a big thing, isn't it? But we have to tone down what we do because of the lack of expenses. And we want everyone to be involved. Because if we charge a hefty fund to come to a dinner or to go to a uh, banquet or whatever, and most of our people or a good number of our people cannot afford it, then the church isn't celebrating. It's only the select few, and we don't want that to happen. Amen? So we want you to be praying about how God would use you to have to meet some of these needs. And you can be assured, uh, the, the committee is looking at everything that is spent to be sure that we do not spend money we shouldn't in a time when money is so scarce, all right? So don't be surprised. In fact, it's the way it's been planned that you don't go to a, hell, you don't go to a whole hotel to celebrate. You go right over here to Irvish Banquet Auditorium, all right? Amen? All right, let me stop there for now because Paul goes on into chapter 9 to deal with the same thing.